1: welcome to episode 174 of the criminology podcast i'm mike ferguson
0: and this is mike morford
1: mr mike morford what's going on with you brother
0: not too much uh spending a little time this week watching some uh 9 11 documentaries and thinking that it's been 20 years and just uh it's a a big reminder this time of year i think that we don't want to forget our heroes and, and people that we lost so that's been on my mind a lot lately how about you
1: yeah, same. I, I don't know if you watched the one on Netflix, but uh, you know, I've been watching that and it it just brings back a flood of emotions and you know, it takes me back to that day. You know, it's one of those days where, you know, and I think a lot of people say this. They remember exactly where they were, what they were doing. You know, for the older generation, a lot of people had that with the Kennedy assassination. Obviously, we weren't born then, but you know, for us it's nine eleven.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And it's just, I think you said it perfectly. You, you just remember that day as if it was yesterday, it's just etched in your head. And, uh, I just, whenever I see firefighters or, or police on the street or any NYPD people, it just sort of just, I think about that. And this time of year, especially.
1: We continue to see some great Patreon support. Let's give some shout outs. We had Jasmine Collins, Deb Gran, Stella Hickman, Jessica McConville, Tina Albright, and Deannie Dawson. So a lot of great new support. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that support. It goes a long way to helping us put the show out. And if there's anyone that would like to support Criminology, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash criminology.
1: Folks, don't forget about CrimeCon in Vegas, Friday, April 29th, 2022 to Sunday, May 1st. It's getting closer and closer. It's only about six months away.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, it looks like the tickets will run out for CrimeCon Vegas. So if you're on the fence, don't wait. Make your arrangements to go. We're really looking forward to saying hi to a lot of our listeners. And from what we've heard, it's going to be a great time. Oh,
1: I have no doubt about that. And for those of you that are going to pull that trigger, make your plans. You might as well save a little money in the process and you can do that by using our promo code which is criminology. Go to crimecon.com and use that promo code at checkout to save 10% on your standard badge price. All right, morph, so we have all of that out of the way. Let's jump into this episode and today we're heading across the pond to England to discuss a puzzling missing persons case that has a lot of twists, a lot of red herrings, but as of now remains unsolved. We're talking about the case of Claudia Lawrence.
0: Claudia Lawrence was born on February 27th, 1974 in Malton, Yorkshire, England. She has one older sister named Allie. Her father, Peter, was a successful attorney. Her mother, Joan, served one term as mayor of Malton. Claudia's parents had a bitter divorce, and the two never made a joint public appearance about Claudia's disappearance. Claudia attended the upscale and private school York College for Girls, and later went to a catering college. Claudia enjoyed a busy social life, and really didn't date anyone regularly. She wasn't known to have many serious long-term relationships. Once she went missing and her life was put under a microscope, some secret relationships and encounters that Claudia had came to light, and at times would cause the investigation into her disappearance to shift directions and led to a lot of innuendos and rumors when it came to the media's coverage of her case.
1: In 2009, 35-year-old Claudia Lawrence was working as a chef at the University of York's Goodrick College in York, England, just three miles from her home in Heworth, York. She was a frequent patron of the Nags Head Pub near her home. On Wednesday, March 18th, Claudia started her shift at the Roger Kirk Center at Goodrick College at 6 a.m. and she worked until 2 p.m. when she left on foot, which was captured by the campus CCTV cameras. An hour later, cameras also caught her walking past a shop in Melrose Gate, about three minutes from her home. That evening, she spoke to both of her parents on the phone. And from what they noticed, she was fine and everything seemed normal. She did mention that she had to go to bed early because her car was in the shop. So she had to walk to work instead of drive. So she would have to wake up before 5 a.m. But besides that minor detail, nothing really seemed out of the ordinary.
0: The next day, Thursday, March 19th, Claudia didn't show up for a shift at work, which was scheduled to start at 6 a.m. Her manager called her, and after the phone rang a few times, it went to voicemail. Later that night at the Nags Head Pub, Claudia's friend Susie Cooper showed up for a get-together the pair had planned, but Claudia didn't show. Susie called Claudia, but never got an answer. This surprised Susie because Claudia was practically always on the phone, or had it next to her. So Susie called her again, but still got no response. The next morning, Friday, March 20th, Susie tried to call Claudia once again, And when she didn't answer, she became worried enough to start contacting their mutual friends. Susie called George Foreman, the landlord of the Nags Head Pub, since Claudia was there so often. But he hadn't seen Claudia either. Susie
1: was starting to get really nervous. And she decided to call Peter Lawrence, Claudia's father, later that day. After confirming that none of their friends had heard from Claudia, Peter called Claudia's work and was informed that she didn't show up to her shift that day or on the day before Peter Lawrence decided that he needed to check on his daughter. He met up with nags head landlord, George Foreman and together they used Peter's key to go into Claudia's apartment to look for her. Claudia wasn't home, but her bed was made and there were dishes in the sink that she hadn't washed yet. It looked like she had made her bed and eaten breakfast before getting ready for and heading out to work. The bag that she always carried, which had her purse in it, as well as her credit cards and even her passport, were still in the house.
0: As the two men looked around, they spotted jewelry that Claudia often wore, jewelry that she would leave home when she went to work. It was on her dresser. Her phone, a backpack which she usually would have her chef's weights in, and a hair straightener were missing. Her toothbrush was still laying out on the drying board, and her slippers were by the door. Because of everything they found, they felt that Claudia had gotten ready for work that morning. One thing that they didn't notice at first, something that was later found by investigators in Claudia's bathroom, were hair products, used bleach containers, empty hair dye boxes, and used gloves. Everything overall seemed normal in the apartment. There appeared to be no sign of a struggle or any disturbance. But because his daughter hadn't been seen in two days, Peter Lawrence decided he needed to involve the police. And and more,
1: if this comes up in many cases that you and I cover parents who find out that their adult children are missing, haven't been heard from, you know, it's always interesting as you break down a case to find out when they make the decision to call the police, because, you know, let's face it, that's not an easy decision for everyone to make. There has to be some hesitancy on the part of many people to immediately think the worst and that, you know, we should call the police. I have to believe that a lot of parents, you know, they don't want to believe that first of all, that, that something bad has happened to the point where the police need to be involved. I think many people think, well, You know, maybe she went out to party, she stayed over at somebody's house. I mean, you can run through the gamut of different things that would go through a a parent's mind, but there's always a spot in every case where people make the decision to call the police and it's because they've gotten to the point where they're extremely worried.
0: Yeah, I think each situation, the family has to weigh, you know, Am, am I overreacting here or is there something legitimately wrong? And I think at this point, based on the fact that she hadn't been to work in two days, it was pretty alarming, especially if that wasn't her character. If, if she hadn't missed work before, that would seem to set off a red flag. And and to, to me, I think of the last case we covered, the McStay family, in the last episode, it was, what, two weeks almost before police were alerted that they were missing? And this seems to be the opposite. This seems to be where her father didn't mess around and went for help right away.
1: Yeah. And and you made a good point. I think a lot of times it does depend on a parent knowing their child, their children. Okay. Is this out of the ordinary or is this something that we see, right? We don't hear from them for a couple of days, but they're, they're fine. We always hear from them, but a lot of victims that we profile you know, especially with their, their job and their friends, they're very prompt, let's say, to show up for something. They don't miss work. And that really gives off a something is wrong vibe pretty quickly. At around 2 p.m. on March 20th, 2009, the Yorkshire police received the report of a missing person. Police met with Peter later that day, but didn't consider Claudia's case to be an emergency because they didn't feel she was endangered or vulnerable. And again, since her house showed nothing amiss, no signs of violence or foul play at all, the police seemed to minimize the seriousness of the situation. Since Claudia was an adult, investigators assumed that she was just out and about and would come home soon. Officers did do a cursory search of the route she took to work, but they didn't find anything of interest.
0: The North Yorkshire police received over 3,000 missing persons calls a year. And in most of those cases, the person was found within days. They wanted Claudia's friends and family to be patient, but Claudia's family continued to insist that she would have never just left without contacting anyone and missing work for so long. They believed early on that Claudia had been abducted, Days turned into weeks. After Claudia had been missing for five weeks, the North Yorkshire police reversed course and changed her case from a missing persons case to a possible homicide investigation.
1: And so here's the other side of it, More, We already talked about, you know, disappearance from a parent's perspective. Well, now let's talk about it from the perspective of what the police do. They get a lot of missing persons calls. We know that. And that doesn't matter really where you're at, United States, England, you know, it happens. And so they have to look at the facts and, you know, make the decision that they deem appropriate. I think you and I, in many cases, often have an issue with how long it takes the police to really jump into action. I get it. She was an adult. She could have gone off on her own, without telling her parents. There's nothing wrong with that. And I understand that thinking in the first couple of days. Now, if we were talking about a 12-year-old Claudia Lawrence, I think that is is much different. But when you're talking about an adult, okay, day one, are you kind of sussing everything out? Yeah, I get that. But when you get weeks on and nobody has heard from a person yeah I think at some point and sooner rather than later, you've got to change your way of thinking because it becomes something that is very abnormal for that person,
0: yeah, and I understand why police do want to wait before they go sending a team out to start investigating because i I would guess and I don't know what the stats are, but I would guess that most people that are reported missing wind up okay, they went you know off with someone whatever it may be, but the crucial time in an investigation of someone who's missing under suspicious circumstances or foul play are those first 48 hours, I think. And here's a case where the police weren't even alerted to her being missing until almost 48 hours. Uh, So that time that's already gone by is already lost valuable time. And now the police sort of want the family to sit back and say, Hey, give it some time. And and that 48 hours has already lapsed.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great point that you're making. This wasn't a person who was supposed to be home for dinner at six o'clock and a loved one called at six 30 and said, Oh, something's terribly wrong. My child or, you know, my adult child is 30 minutes late. That's much different, right? Your point is so valid in that the contact wasn't made until Claudia had been missing for a couple of days. So the the kind of wait and see attitude on police, uh, you got to look at it a little differently, I think then.
0: Yeah. And I, I think especially the part about her missing work should seem to, I would hope, set off some kind of alert for police. Hey, she hasn't gone to work in two days and she didn't call she just skipped te- skipped out it seems like so it it might be a little bit different if she said hey i'm, I'm gonna take a couple of days off and um you know and didn't give many details but at least called here she just didn't call she didn't show up and in checking with her employer they could find out if she had ever done that before and that would seem to uh light a fire under them hopefully if if it was out of the ordinary
1: Crime Stoppers offered a 10,000 pound reward, which was equivalent to about almost $14,000 U S for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone involved in the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence. The possibility of a crime of opportunity was looked into. There were a few reports of suspicious people in the Heworth area in the days before Claudia was last seen but nothing ever panned out from those leads. There were a few serial killers known to be active in that general area of England at the time. But you know, looking at those serial killers later, obviously after they were captured known about none of them are thought to be very promising suspects.
0: The authorities soon turned their investigation toward people who knew Claudia. They thought that perhaps maybe someone who she would have opened the door to or she would get in the car with, might be responsible. Looking at Claudia's phone records, police discovered that her phone was on until 12.10 p.m. on March 19th. After that, it was deliberately turned off. It didn't simply die. Until it was turned off, it was pinging off a tower in the Heworth area of York. This means that Claudia's phone never left the area of her home while it was on. The last known activity on Claudia's phone was on the night of March 18th. At 8.23 p.m., Claudia sent a text message, and at 9.12 p.m., an incoming text message came in.
1: Police once again decided to look along the route that Claudia would have taken to work. Only this time, they pulled video surveillance and sought out potential eyewitnesses. There was one camera along the route that she took to work, a camera at the Melrose Gate Post Office, but it didn't capture Claudia passing on March 19th. A cyclist came forward and told police that he had seen Claudia talking with someone that police would later end up calling the left-handed smoker. Claudia and this man were reportedly seen near the Melrose Gate Bridge electricity substation at around 5.35 a.m. The substation was about a 10-minute walk from Claudia's home, so if she had left that morning when she had planned to she would have reached the bridge by the time of that sighting. The Melrose Gate Bridge area that the cyclist saw Claudia in is closer to her home than where the security camera was located. So I think this suggests that Claudia never made it all the way to that camera after leaving her home that morning and that perhaps whatever happened to her happened before that point.
0: Another witness recalled seeing a man and a woman who matched Claudia's description arguing next to a parked car on University Way at around 6 a.m. Since this woman, who was possibly Claudia, was next to a parked car, this could indicate that she didn't walk all the way to work, and that instead, she accepted a ride from someone at some time at or after the Melrose Gate Bridge substation. If she was arguing with this person instead of going into work and starting her shift, Maybe something happened to her between University Way and the actual college.
1: In September 2009, the North Yorkshire police announced that the search for Claudia Lawrence had extended all the way to Cyprus, an island in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. There were reports that Claudia may have received a job offer on the island and that her last received text message was from a man who lived there. Claudia had taken vacations in Cyprus before, so it wasn't all that much of a stretch for police to look there. However, Claudia had left her passport at home, so there was no way for her to travel internationally to get to Cyprus. While detectives were searching for Claudia far away, they also searched close to home at the University of York where Claudia worked but didn't find anything that could help their investigation.
0: Over seven months passed with no sign of Claudia. In October 2009, authorities appealed to the public, looking for the driver of a rusty white van who had been trying to speak to women near Claudia's route to work in the days before she was last seen. Authorities also recovered CCTV footage, which showed a silver Ford Focus hatchback driving down Heworth Road, where Claudia lived. The car's brake lights lit up as it got to Claudia's home. It's believed to be anywhere from a 1998 to 2004 model. Unfortunately, none of those leads went anywhere.
1: In February 2011, after Claudia had been missing for two years, Crime Stoppers withdrew its £10,000 reward for information related to her disappearance. In June 2013, the North Yorkshire Police launched their major crime unit, which would review cold cases, among other things. The next month in July, the major crime unit announced that they would be looking into Claudia's disappearance. New investigators reviewed the case with fresh eyes and new forensic tests and searches were conducted at Claudia's home. Her car was also searched and major crime unit investigators were able to find fingerprints and a man's DNA on the butt of a cigarette inside the car. So morph to me, this, you know, jumps out right away. You know, we're two years on Claudia has been missing for two years. Okay. Somebody is going to take a fresh look at the case. I get that that happens, but now, you know, we find out that they're conducting tests at her home. They're also finding fingerprints, DNA inside of her car. You know, you really have to wonder. What happened early on in the investigation? Did they not do, you know, some of the forensic testing inside her home? Did they not dust for fingerprints? How could they not have, you know, checked the cigarette butts inside the car for DNA? I mean, I think these are all questions you have to ask.
0: Yeah, I I think it's always a good thing in an older case that's unsolved to have fresh eyes on it. And have new people looking at it, giving different interpretations of what they see, maybe thinking outside the box a little bit. But to your point, I think that is pretty frightening that a lot of the stuff hadn't been done sooner. And maybe some of that can be attributed to manpower, to funding. You know, We don't know all of those details, but it certainly seems as if early on at least that a lot of the stuff that might have provided more details or clues – was was missed.
1: Well, I can tell you right now, if I'm the family, I'm looking at it that way. There, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I don't know what else I would be able to make of it but that.
0: On May 13, 2014, over five years after Claudia vanished, the North Yorkshire police arrested a 59-year-old man on suspicion of her murder. This man lived near Claudia and also worked at the University of York. The two were known to be friendly, and he had been seen giving Claudia rides both to and from work. His home and his mother's home in North Shields, Tyneside, were both searched. He was released on bail on May 14th. The man's name wasn't released to the public.
1: In July 2014, the North Yorkshire police arrested a man named Paul Harris, who was the landlord of the Acom Pub, for suspicion of perverting the course of justice. This seems to be very similar to an obstruction of justice charge here in the U.S. He was never charged for this, though, and he was pretty quickly released with no bail conditions. He was angry that police had searched part of the pub cellar by excavating some of the floor. He did confirm that Claudia had been a patron of the pub in the weeks before her disappearance. He also confirmed that he had personally spoken to her. Shortly before she disappeared, but denied having anything to do with her disappearance. It's interesting to point out that this pub was two hours north of Heworth. In November 2014, the 59 year old man who had been arrested in May was completely released from bail and no charges were filed. So, you know, if you look at this morph in really just the span of a few months, Police arrested not one, but two people in connection with Claudia's disappearance, but also in pretty short order, cut both of them loose. And then after that, Claudia's case went cold.
0: This must have been a real roller coaster for Claudia's parents, because here you have some progress in your eyes. Okay. They're making an arrest, not one, but two, and you're waiting to see what's going to happen next. And then instead of Evidence coming to light or some details coming to light, the the next thing that happens is both of these guys are released. That has to be a real letdown for the parents.
1: Yeah, I think roller coaster, when you said that, that pretty much sums it up. It had to have been, you know, just a, a really rough time. And I think it is for many parents in these types of cases, right? We get information that seems so promising. So your hopes have to really jump up, that we're going to find something out. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, we don't have anything. So, you know, that up and down, up and down just has to be completely horrible for the families of these victims.
2: My name is John Lorden, and I've been looking into hundreds of unsolved mysteries over the past five years on my YouTube channel, Lorden Arts. And I've been known to bring a respectful, victim-focused approach to the stories that I cover while donating thousands of dollars directly to those cases and the charities that help them. Now, I'm bringing that approach and sensibility, along with some of the biggest mysteries I've ever looked into and some new ones, to a weekly podcast called Seriously Mysterious. From Bizarre Occurrences to unsolved murders and unexplainable disappearances. Everything is fair game on this show as long as it's Seriously Mysterious. You can find Seriously Mysterious on your favorite podcatchers or by visiting seriouslymysterious.com. Let's look into the mysterious together.
1: now to get almost anything delivered. Must be 21 and over to order alcohol, drink responsibly, alcohol available only in select markets.
0: In 2018, Peter Lawrence was appointed to a position as an officer of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, or OBE. It was in recognition of his efforts for change and his advocating following Claudia's disappearance. In June 2019, the guardianship Missing Persons Act 2017 was introduced and it was informally called Claudia's Law. This law enables a guardian to be designated in order to manage the affairs of anyone who's been missing for 90 days or more. This would allow someone to stop a missing person's bills and stop them from incurring debt that they can never repay. In July 2019, the law took effect. Peter Lawrence was very vocal in support of this law.
1: On March 8, 2020, The Crown Prosecution Service refused to prosecute a case that the North Yorkshire police had submitted to them, claiming that four men in their fifties who lived in York had been involved in Claudia's murder. According to the Crown Prosecution Service, there just was not enough evidence to prove the case. The four men had been regulars at the Nags Head Pub like Claudia, but they denied having anything to do with her disappearance. I think to many, it seemed as if the police were desperate, just randomly trying to connect people to Claudia's case. Now, for their part, the North Yorkshire police claimed that witnesses were not being cooperative. Detective Superintendent Di Malin publicly stated that those closely associated with Claudia have withheld key information in her investigation. These four men are reported to have all been construction workers and many people suspect that a university construction site would have been the perfect place to dispose of Claudia's body. And more, if I really want to break down the public statement, right? Those closely associated with Claudia have withheld key information in the investigation. Well, what does that mean? Who are these people that are closely associated with Claudia I mean, you can take that to mean friends and family. And I think a lot of people would. So if that's the case, and obviously we don't know for sure, that's a very interesting statement. Now, if you're just talking about pub patrons or, you know, folks that wouldn't really have been considered Claudia's friends, but people that she hung out at the bar with, well, okay, that's a different story. But, you know, to me, that's the problem with some of these statements. They're so vague that it leads to a lot of speculation.
0: Yeah, I think it could also maybe show that there's some friction there between people close to Claudia, her friends and family, and the police. If the police are taking this position that they're not getting cooperation, then that makes the the friends and family of, of Claudia look bad. And, Unfortunately, there's, as you mentioned, there's nothing there to really uh, expand on what they had or didn't have that made them feel this way. But it definitely seems like there was some kind of uh, uh, miscommunication, uh, one way or the other, going on in Claudia's case. Well, the other thing that we have seen is,
1: you know, friends and family are very cooperative up front in the beginning. And it's almost as if, you know, As the weeks pass, months pass, the years pass, their faith in the police, it wanes. And so, you know, maybe they do become a little bit less cooperative when they feel as though police are not doing what they're supposed to do. Their confidence level is shaky. You know, I think you can have that.
0: In early March, 2020, the North Yorkshire police received, quote, new information as they deemed it and on March 24th, they started searching in the Heslington area, about two miles southeast of Heworth. On the 24th, they searched land near a playground and near a farm track. On March 25th, a piece of land near the University of York, which bordered athletic fields and student housing, was searched. Still, authorities found nothing connected to Claudia's disappearance. It was later revealed that this search was launched due to false information. It had all been the result of a hoax.
1: Over the years, driven by the publicity of the case and the public's thirst for information, the media picked Claudia's life apart. Investigators honestly did her no favors. In this area, one detective working Claudia's case, Ray Galloway, cited the complexity and mystery of Claudia's love life as a possible reason for her disappearance, according to The Independent. Almost every male regular of one York pub was questioned as to whether they had ever had a fling with her. She was referred to as a quote, scarlet woman and a homewrecker, apparently because some of the men Claudia had spent time with were married. Former met detective chief inspector Clive Driscoll stated that it painted a picture that Claudia somehow deserved what happened to her and that because it had a big impact on how people viewed her, it subsequently impacted how the public responded to the
0: investigation. As we've seen in great many cases of missing or murdered people, investigators turn the victims' lives upside down searching for motives, and a lot of times they uncover a secret side of the victims. There was one theory that Claudia had been murdered by one of the men she had been having a sexual relationship with because he was afraid that she would tell his wife but Claudia seemed pretty discreet about who her intimate relationships were with, even though she wasn't shy with the fact she had them.
1: And more to me, this is one of the very sad parts of a missing woman. You know, we've seen it time and time again, whether it's the media and it usually is, but sometimes, you know, it's the media fueled by what they're getting from the authorities and what comes out. Is this painting of the victim as, you know, somebody who slept around or was promiscuous or, you know, and even if that was true, so what, you know, it's almost as if the media is trying to paint a picture sometimes that if she had been a different way, if she had not gone out with X number of men, she would not have gone missing. And to me, that is just ludicrous. Now, I get it when you're talking about possible suspects it's It's important right to try to figure out relationships and you know, could she have been seeing a married man who would have possibly wanted to silence her because she was threatening to tell his wife i'm I'm just you know saying that as an example. you know all of that is important information as it pertains to the investigation to suspects, I just think sometimes the media goes way overboard in the way that they negatively paint women.
0: It's unfortunate. It's a re victimizing. It seems like of the person. And in this case, Claudia's parents probably had to hear all of that and read all of that in the headlines. And it's, it's a, a mark against their daughter about against her memory and, and probably not something they were happy to hear about.
1: No, because, you know, number one, we're grieving. We don't know what has happened to our daughter. We're still looking for her. And it's as if the media is, is painting the scarlet letter on her. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I do feel bad. Cause I think you're right. Extremely tough on the family and very unfair in my opinion, to her and her memory. In August, 2021, the North Yorkshire police began searching Sand Hutton gravel pits, a wooded area in Sand Hutton, about seven miles northeast of Heworth. On September 1st, a lake was drained so that its bed could be investigated by authorities in a fingertip search. Ground penetrating radar and cadaver dogs were also utilized It's unclear what, if anything, of value or whether anything connected to Claudia's case was found during this search in the aftermath of all the leads that didn't pan out and the things that police investigated. You know, a lot of people look back on aspects of this case with quite a bit of suspicion or at least, you know, a doubting eye. For one thing, the camera at the Melrose Gate Post Office is not an absolute indicator of any timeline because it doesn't cover the entire street and Claudia could have walked on the other side of the street or perhaps even used a different route altogether. There were parallel running streets in the area that would also have taken her on her route. It's not clear if police ever looked for surveillance cameras on other streets nearby.
0: I don't know what the situation was in 2009 as far as surveillance cameras in England, but from what I understand now, they sort of are all over the place. I know that they've done a lot to really try and keep crime down and keep an eye on neighborhoods. So the cameras there are all over the place. If those kind of cameras were in place in 2009 when Claudia vanished, they might have had a lot more clues than they than they actually do now.
1: Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you.
0: Others point to the condition of Claudia's apartment when her father entered it. Police have always assumed that Claudia had slept there on March 18, 2009, and had left early on March 19 to walk to work when something happened to her. This is partially because her bed was made. But people have raised the question, what if Claudia slept over at someone else's home on the night of the 18th and never headed to work from her own apartment? Also... The dishes in Claudia's kitchen sink led police to assume she had eaten breakfast before leaving for work and hadn't had a chance to wash them. People consider the possibility that perhaps those dishes were from the previous night. The night before Claudia vanished, she had spoken to her family and told them that she was going to bed early, but that doesn't technically mean she was going to bed in her own home.
1: Former Met Detective Chief Inspector Clive Driscoll believes that something happened to Claudia between the night of the 18th in the morning of the 19th, he believes that the investigation should have focused on the time after she hung up the phone after speaking with her mother because she didn't respond to a text that she received at 9 12 p.m. While Driscoll believes the secret of what happened to Claudia lies close to home, others believe that there may be clues in the town of Acum. Phone activity showed that Claudia had been in Acum in the weeks before her disappearance. As we mentioned earlier, Acomb is about two hours north of Heworth in York, where Claudia lived and worked.
0: Although they didn't see eye to eye or get along at all, both of Claudia's parents had issues with the way their daughter's case was investigated. The first hours of a disappearance, as we mentioned, are crucial, and this is the time that police didn't take the case seriously, feeling that Claudia wasn't at risk and she was out of pocket by her own choosing. Later, Her parents felt that Claudia's reputation of seeing multiple men made investigators not work as hard on her case, almost blaming her for going missing. Claudia's mother, Joan, also believed that police used a photo of Claudia with the wrong hair color to publicize the case. And for years, even despite Joan's protest, they failed to change the photo to address the difference in hair color. This could mean that people could have seen Claudia, but not even recognized her.
1: Police released CCTV footage from near Claudia's home on the morning of March 19th, which showed a man walking down an alley off of Heworth Place behind Claudia's house at 5.07 a.m. carrying a backpack. Just over one minute later, he comes back into view and walks to the street, still carrying the backpack. According to detectives, other CCTV that was later released shows the same man in the same spot near the alley behind Claudia's home on the 18th of March. On that day, the man was also carrying a backpack this time at around 7 15 PM. He walks down. Heworth place out of frame comes back into view around one minute later and stops walking when he sees someone up and across the road. Detective Galloway believed the man's actions were strange, and many people who followed this case agree.
0: Police Detective Superintendent Di Malin told local news that whoever this man in the alley was, he is, quote, the most important person to trace. Some have speculated that perhaps this mystery man was up to something shady, but perhaps nothing to do with Claudia's case. Many people have stated that a one-minute meeting was plenty of time for a drug dealer, drop-off or pickup. If this man was walking down to a designated spot and leaving something or picking something up and walking off with it, it would make sense that he would be only out of frame for one minute, and he might be nervous when he saw other people nearby, not because he had anything to do with Claudia's disappearance or because he even knew Claudia, but because he was dealing with something illegal and didn't want to blow his cover or get caught.
1: So I get this more from a couple of different perspectives, both the police and really, you know, armchair detectives thinking that this man is possibly important to the case. That could be true. It could also be true that this was just a guy who routinely walked around that area with a backpack. Maybe he was selling drugs out of the backpack. Who knows, right? This guy could have been doing a bunch of different things. And maybe didn't have anything to do with Claudia's disappearance at all. But no doubt his actions are viewed as strange and a lot of people see him as possibly important to the case.
0: Yeah. I think one thing the police maybe could have done if they thought he was that important was just say, put it out there that, Hey, we want to talk to you. We don't care what you're doing there. We're not going to charge you with anything you know, for all we know, he could have been dealing drugs or something like that. So he, someone like that's probably not going to want to come forward to police. But if they put it out there that we just want to you know, clarify who you are, that you didn't have anything to do with this disappearance, we're not going to charge you with anything. Maybe that would in- inspire him to come forward and, and give information.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times that happens. But how often morph do people really come forward? <laughs> it doesn't seem like very
0: often. I can think of a lot of cases where there's a a missing person that police just want to identify just to rule them out or just, you know, identify them so they can make sure that they're not involved. All they want them to do is come forward just so they can speak to them. Despite the news putting it out there, uh, sometimes flyers put it out there, uh, people in the community are looking for this person, but they're never identified, they never come forward, and that's going to be frustrating. One person
1: that is a lot of people's favorite suspect in Claudia's disappearance is a man named Christopher Halliwell. He worked as a taxi driver and he pleaded guilty to the March 19th, 2011 murder of 22 year old Sean O'Callaghan, who he picked up as a fair the night of March 18th, the March 19th date sticks out to many as some sort of attempted or emerging pattern. Now, while there's no physical evidence that ties Halliwell to Claudia's case, he is suspected in a different murder, that of 28-year-old Becky Godden Edwards. Less than two weeks after the murder of Sean O'Callaghan and his arrest, Hallowell led police to the body of Becky Godden Edwards.
0: The last verified sighting of Becky had been reported to be all the way back on December 27, 2002 and she wasn't considered a missing person by her family until April 4th, 2011, which would have been her 29th birthday. This doesn't fit with the March 19th pattern, but the true date of Becky's death is unknown. Becky Godden's mother, Karen Edwards, told The Independent that the 18th of March was, quote, the day that Hallowell broke up with one of his partners. Former Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher believes that Hallowell killed Claudia, and he stated that, quote, There is a potential witness that came forward, claiming that he had spotted Claudia in physical company with Christopher Halliwell. It's been reported that Halliwell asked a cellmate of his in the 1980s how many murders he would have to commit in order to be considered a serial killer, leading many to believe that he was aspiring to be one. The most generally accepted answer is three people in separate incidents, so some people wonder if he was really asking because he wanted to become a serial killer. If he did kill Claudia, Becky, and Sean, That would qualify him as one.
1: When police found Sean O'Callaghan's boot floating in a pond in Ramsbury in Wiltshire, dogs were called in and investigators uncovered more than 60 items of women's clothing buried in the woods nearby. It's been speculated by many that this was some kind of dumping ground, most likely for Hallowell. Still, North Yorkshire Police Detective Superintendent Di Malin stated unequivocally that Hallowell was not a suspect in Claudia Lawrence's disappearance. The Wiltshire police also do not believe that Hallowell is a viable suspect in Claudia's case. Joan Hallowell believes he has more than the two victims he has already admitted to, possibly including Claudia. And Becky's mom believes that Hallowell has eight
0: victims. According to the Daily Mail, someone actually claimed to have seen Claudia talking to Halliwell through the window of his taxi. The witness reportedly heard Claudia ask Hallowell for change so that she could use a call box to contact her father. This may feed into a lot of the speculation that focuses on Halliwell online in circles where the case is discussed. But Claudia was often on her phone, and as we know, it wasn't turned off until afternoon on March 19th, so it makes no sense that she would need change for a phone call that day. According to the Daily Mail, Joan Lawrence believes this witness. If you know anything about the Daily Mail, though, you've probably heard that it's not a credible source and that it's more of a tabloid. It's unclear the veracity of the statement or whether Joan really expressed these beliefs to them, but it certainly drives suspicion of Halliwell in the public eye. Another man
1: whose name often pops up in connection to Claudia's disappearance is Richard Cartwright, a railway carriage cleaner who was apparently seen on CCTV walking into the alley behind Claudia's house, but it's never been confirmed whether he is the man on the footage that police have released. There are multiple news reports that refer to this man as being unidentified. Cartwright owned two homes in East Parade, York, near Claudia's house, which were both searched by police in August of 2009, but nothing ever came out of those searches. After the searches, a police spokeswoman stated that they believed that Cartwright was seen on CCTV, but that they could never confirm it because he had passed away. The 57-year-old man died in April 2009 from natural causes before he was ever suspected of being the man in the CCTV footage.
0: One theory some people discuss is that Claudia ran away to start a new life. This seems to be connected to the hair dye found in her home. People point out that perhaps she was trying to change her appearance, but there's no evidence to support this. Detective Superintendent DiMallon believes without a doubt that, quote, this case could still be solved if only people were honest with investigators. Sky News reporter Gerard Tubbs wrote in 2015 that Claudia's disappearance remains the only missing person case where Tubbs had been warned off or threatened, and that it happened not once, but twice.
1: And here again, more if we have investigators coming out and saying that people are not being honest with them. Again, we don't know who they're talking about. Is it friends? Is it family? Is it both? Is it just acquaintances? It leads to a lot of speculation. Then you have this reporter, which I thought was very interesting, saying that you know this is the only case where He'd been warned off or threatened, and it happened multiple times. Again, I don't know if he's talking about the police, if he's talking about you know, an unknown entity that warned him to leave it alone, which could potentially be the person behind Claudia's disappearance. There's so much mystery here,
0: man. Yeah, it almost sounds like some kind of crime novel where you've got a, a snooping reporter and he's getting too close to the truth and people don't want him to find out. Uh, and unfortunately, there's just not enough there uh, that we really know why he was scared off, but it's definitely interesting. Peter
1: Lawrence passed away in February, 2021 at St. Leonard's hospice in York at the age of 74, following a brief battle with an unspecified illness. He died without ever knowing what happened to his daughter. Hopefully someday soon we'll have the answer. In this case, I mean, if you look at the recent searches that were just last month, August, 2021, it appears as though those came about due to new information or tips. That's pretty promising that new information is coming in at this point in time. You know, for now, we'll have to be patient and see what new details emerge. I will say more based on some recent reporting it doesn't seem as though Claudia's mom is all that hopeful about some of this new information. It just seems as though she believes that it's not correct. It's not going to lead to anything. So as we wrap up this case more, I mean, there is a lot here. It's a very mysterious case. There's no doubt about that. We have a woman who goes missing. We've got CCTV footage, We've got bar patrons in multiple locations. We have Claudia's love life being dissected by the media. We have some known killers who possibly have ties to her disappearance. I think you can see from all of this that there are a number of potential suspects. I'll use that term persons of interest at the very least, because Okay. She had relationships. No problem. There's nothing wrong with that. She liked to hang out at the bar. Okay. There's a lot of people at the bar. Now, the one thing that really jumps out at me is the bar two hours away and kind of spending time in this place that was about two hours away from her home. You know, there's some real mystery there around that to me.
0: Yeah, it seems like something drew her to to that area. I don't think someone would just randomly say, hey, I'm going to go try a bar two hours from my home. I think maybe she knew someone there or had reason to be there, and that's why she was spending that time there. And if police could get to the bottom of the who and the why of her being there, maybe that would shed some light on the case. But it doesn't seem like they uncovered a lot of of information close to home so maybe it's worthwhile to be looking elsewhere. Well, and it seems to
1: me as though it was a relatively recent thing, right? We talked about it. She frequented this one pub that was fairly close to where she lived and then it was like, you know, sometime leading up to her disappearance, she started frequenting this other pub. Well, you know, armchair detective it, you can make a couple of inferences from that information. Did she meet someone who lived a couple of hours away? You know, had she started a a relatively new relationship and that's what was drawing her to make the drive? Maybe she was meeting a friend or a new boyfriend. We don't know, but that really jumped out at me as, as possibly being, you know, very important in this case. The problem is like with a lot of unsolved cases, you only get so much information and you only get the information that the authorities want to release. So that makes it tough. And all we really can do is kind of look at everything and make inferences speculate on what this means or that means. It's also to me more of the draw in looking at some of these unsolved cases because yeah, not everything is known. You do get a chance to play armchair detective.
0: Yeah. And as, as I think I put it earlier, it's been a roller coaster of a case just with all the ups and downs and and potential clarification and people even arrested only later to be let go. It's just something that's uh, been very frustrating. It seems all the way along.
1: Yeah. Tough case, no doubt. Um, you know, it, To me, it is kind of refreshing to look at a a cold case and see that, you know, just last month, there's new information, there's new activity. You got to be hopeful about stuff like that. I know her mother doesn't think much of it, but I think we have to wait and see.
0: And maybe we don't know, but maybe some of that doubt she has is because she's seen this before and. Uh, she doesn't want to let her guard down and and feel like there's an answer coming and and there might not be. So, or she may have some inside information that the police have shared with her and she's doubtful, but we just don't know.
1: Oh, I absolutely get that. You know, I, I think to constantly be hopeful and to be let down time after time, it's got to wear on you. And eventually you know, do you make the decision that you're going to temper your expectations? You're not going to get too high because you don't want to be let down and go so low. I think that's kind of natural.
0: Thanks goes out to Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode.
1: As always, if you love the show, but you haven't done so yet, please take a minute, go out, give us a five-star rating. You can leave a review, but also continue telling your friends who love true crime about the Criminology Podcast, that word of mouth really goes a long way.
0: If you're active on social media, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter with the handle at criminology Pod. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Criminology Podcast, or by joining our Facebook discussion group, Criminology Podcast Discussion and Fans.
1: So more If that is it for our episode on Claudia Lawrence. But we'll be back with everyone next Saturday night with an all new episode. So until then, for Mike and Morph, we'll talk to you next week.
0: Take care, everyone.